is everyone ready? Right, 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 right. For me to open this door. Right, 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 right. Is everyone ready? Right, 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 right. Gampy. Bonsai. Bali, Bali. Bali, Bali. Bali, Bali. I'm being right shoved. Bali, Bali. Bali, Bali. Bali, Bali. I'm being right shoved. Now you got a carbon. Now you got a carbon. Now you got a carbon. Mucka. Now you got a carbon. Now you got a carbon. Now you got a carbon. I'm being right shoved. Axis, axis. Axis, axis. Axis, axis. Axis, axis. Axis, axis. Axis, axis. Gampy. Bonsai. Is everyone ready for me to open this door? Gampy, Gampy, Bonsai. Bali, Bali. Bali, Bali. Bali, Bali. I'm being right. I'm being right. Bali, Bali. Bali, Bali. Bali, Bali. I'm being right. I'm being right. Shoft. Now you got a carbon. Now you got a carbon. Now you got a carbon. Mucka. Mucka. Now you got a carbon. Now you got a carbon. Now you got a carbon. Axis, axis. Axis, axis. Axis, axis. Axis, axis. Axis, axis. Axis, axis. Right, 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 right. Is everyone ready? Right, 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 right. For me to open this door. Right, 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 right. Is everyone ready? Is everyone ready? Welcome back to Machine Learning, a pod about the machine from Pod Against the Machine, the only podcast with a supplementary podcast with a 25-word title that I can barely remember. I am your host, Zach, welcoming you back to our humble podcast. Tonight, I have Jero, Jeff, and Sam with me in the studio. How is everyone? We are doing great. Glad to be back in the studio. Love what you've done with the place. <laughs> especially like the new house plants. It gives it, you know, a very homey feel. Yeah, well, you know, uh, during this entire campaign, we've had nothing but positive experiences with plants, foliage, and uh, various <laughs> flora life. So I figured that that uh, specifically plant friend in the vibrating table corner over there would be a good addition. Sorry, what were you saying, Jeff? I was just saying, like, yeah. Uh, I mean, basically just good experiences all around. It's like the Bob Ross actual play. <laughs> Everything's just cool, man. Just happy little robots. <laughs> Speaking of happy little robots, that was a beautiful segue, Sam. Nothing is a happier robot than a tiny little nanite being shot into someone's arm 
alongside expired space drugs. Or maybe it's the expired space drug itself. But anyway, that rough segue was bringing us into our recap of our first June episode, episode 24, Ride the Space Dragon. So this is a pretty wild ep. We literally lawnmowered through a bunch of veggie pygmies, got, I think, our first magical weapon, right? Nope. And then did some expired space drugs. Yeah, but you've got that all backwards. Oh. Yeah. Because right. we See, started, started don't the episode host. with the expired space drugs. Yeah, the episode started with recovering from the second Hetuath fight. After which, you did all the space drugs, and that went on for like three and a half, four hours. Yeah, excellent. And then you went into the ship and mowed through the medical robots and like every plant <laughs> in the history of the show. Yeah. Yes, and, and we are going to edit it as such that Sam does the recap for this specific <laughs> episode after my fantastic segue. Oh, yeah. Just keep that in mind, Drew. But thank you, Sam, for setting us straight on that one. So yeah, we started off with the with the space drugs, the um, the time worn drugs specifically. So I remember someone mentioning in the Discord, Sam, and I wanted to pull this as a quick aside. So time worn rules they apply differently to things. Is that okay for me to know this? Like to to pharmaceuticals versus like weapons or other technology, or is it all pretty much the same? I mean, we can talk about this. This is a rules thing, and it's stuff that's only ever going to come up in Iron Gods. And I kind of like that we um, have this <laughs> fairly unique um, set of rules that like other campaigns don't really ever touch on. But with the time-worn technology, there's um, anything that's labeled time-worn has a chance of glitching. They don't always work as intended. And looking at the technology guide... Any time-worn item can um, glitch, has a 50% chance of glitching the first time it's used after a month or more of inactivity. Any time a single-use consumable is used. Um, Any time you're using an item in a way that would use its last charge. Or when an item that requires a d20 roll uh, to activate or use, um, and that roll is a natural one. So there's like an actual fumble here. Ah... And then you also have uh, when a critical hit is confirmed against the wearer of an active defensive time-worn item, then you roll for a glitch for that armor or shield or whatever. That is super cool. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's neat so far. It's been like a cool part of like Brixby's character trait to be able to double (laughs) roll on these. But like, I think that is a particularly interesting element of the way of introducing tech. Uh, I don't know if it's just like a scalable thing, if it's more of like a plot focus thing, but regardless, it definitely like provides a fun narrative element while also maybe nerfing some stuff that you are giving to low level characters. Yeah, because like if we had like, say, a non time worn version of our magical drug gun, it's basically a cure light wounds wand that anybody could use, which is pretty broken early on. Yeah, it's a pretty sweet item, and and not a lot of the technology stuff has like a definite advantage over the magical equivalent, but some of it does. Like the mm-hmm. the cure guns, they're they're pretty sweet. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Like if that wasn't time worn, 
any party could use it without any negatives. Like, even for a Cure Light Wounds wand, you either need someone that can cast a spell or that can roll UMD. For this thing, if it wasn't time-worn, it's just you have an ability that anybody that wanted to could just start healing everybody after every fight. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, from a character perspective, it's always really fun to watch your campaign trait come into effect. I already had like a pretty decent benefit of, of also knowing Androphen, but yeah, this has been a really cool thing. And it seems like it's been relatively helpful because the deleterious effects of space drugs. And listen, kids, if you're going to do space drugs, do high quality, fresh, unexpired space drugs. May sound really fun, but you won't be able to roll twice like Brixby. And who knows what might happen to you. We can edit this the heck out, but now I want to see like the stupidest picture of like Brixby and a fat blunt that says I always roll twice. <laughs> no, we're leaving this in in yeah, case anyone wants that to on know tote bag. what to get for me. Um, it would, I would not be opposed to hanging that directly above my recording equipment. So, um, yeah, nope, that's, that's the end on in. But yeah, no, so speaking of drugs and the rat, um, <clears throat> I did a lot of administering and receiving of them. I did, I did get con damage, uh, which was not so great. The, the negative effects of time-worn drugs are pretty raw. I mean, it was cool to be able to reroll some ones, um, bring some people back up, but, uh, yeah, wow, that gun has some serious drawbacks. But we were all feeling pretty good about the stuff that followed, right? The the robot battle, and then... Yeah, I mean, you, you all walked straight through the medical robot. I think there was some um, remembering the hardness, um, but the hardness was actually the other robot. Yeah, the medical robot didn't have the hardness. Yeah, it just had the poison that could sap your strength, but it didn't yeah. get to do it. Yeah, and so. Yeah, thankfully it did not uh, sap Vargas's strength this time. <laughs> and thankfully it didn't have a buddy with uh, DR exactly one higher than what Vargas with minus two strength can hit. Oh my god, yeah, I know. <laughs> hey, can yeah, you imagine man. having to deal with that in combat? <laughs> I bet that fight would never end. <laughs> yeah, that would have been horrible if we had to do something like that. Yeah, I bet editing it is super enjoyable, too. Oh, that's a super wonderful process. (laughs) (laughs) It's, like, amazing how much of that I cut out and threw directly into the garbage, and it still feels like an unedited episode with how long it is. (laughs) But unlike that, screw you, robot, and I can say that in this family-friendly podcast, we blew right through that guy and straight on to the Veggie Pygmies, where, you know, I... We were, uh, we rounded them up to make a very poor Monsanto joke. That company's awful. But, um, yeah, we rounded them up like some, some herbicide or something. We've already encountered mold a couple times. We've run into russet mold and then that other mold. Brown. And brown mold, yeah. And then there is a relationship, I believe, between the russet mold and the veggie pygmies. So I think that's why they're there. But, why do we think the molds are there? Who? What do we think yeah. the veggie pygmies were? Yeah. Thoughts? Yeah, the part of it that really interests me was the dead priests each locked in one of those rooms that basically seemed like they were like incubator rooms for the mold. And the question, then you get the like chicken and the egg type question of 
if the veggie pygmies all hatched from these guys, who was it that stuck them in those little closets and infected them with the mold so they could spawn the veggie pygmies? Like, it's an interesting question. Like, were there already a couple of pygmies, like, alive in here in stasis, like Hetua had been and, like, a plant friend had been, and they captured these guys to make more? Did somebody else toss them in there? Did they just, like, fall in on their own? Does the russet mold maybe control you like the uh, Last of Us fungus and that made him walk into the closets? Well, the russet mold, it doesn't control you, but once you get infected with it, if you if you die of the russet mold, like the Veggie Pygmy grows inside you and, and does a whole mm. chestburster thing. And uh, one thing I can tell you is that Veggie Pygmies kind of worship the bodies that they're born from as like in like a pseudo religious oh. way so did they stick them in the closets after they hatched yeah after they hatched they all set them up in those rooms as a sort of way to keep them mm. safe even though you know mechanically there's nothing left for them and they um their leader took the one guy's magic hammer but other than that like they, they left everything else alone oh speaking of and I thought of this, I think I wrote it in our private Discord once when I thought of it and I was listening to the episode. Where did the rest of them get all those spears? I don't know. <laughs> Spear storage. Uh, yeah. It's in a room with white keycard. We can't get in there. Dagnet. Probably they made them from some of the out-of-control plant growth in the other room. Um, is the total non-plot hole way of um, addressing that particular <laughs> issue. So yeah, they made them. They're very smart. I mean, that tracks, honestly. Like, there's a lot of debris in this, like, half-crashed spaceship, as well yeah. as plant matter. It's it's reasonable that they would bring together some sort of weapon. So that was that was pretty much the, the whole of, uh, of this ep, right? We did the healing, did the fights. We were feeling pretty good about ourselves. So we rolled on into episode 25, uh, Blood Aspic, I believe was introduced with the... It's the podcast, only podcast that will discuss the finer points of, of aspic and, and gelatins <laughs> or whatnot. But yeah, no, that is what you can rely on us for is, is revolting uh, gastronomic references uh, mm-hmm. all the way through. Um, it's kind of sad that Izzy isn't with us because our normal references to warm gogurt usually elicit at least one dry heaving response. So, uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's a bummer. Any, yeah. So anyway, going into Blood Aspic. Yeah, we started this one basically mopping up the leftovers of the fight from the previous one. We had already massacred the entire population of Vegapygmies, but then we, this episode, started off fighting that plant that we ended the last one. Like, we walked into the room with it, and Sam was like, yeah, there's a plant in here. Yeah, the beautiful foliage, man. It's a real bummer. Uh, what did I? Call? Oh, I said it looked like the guys from Day, the plant monsters from Day of the Triffids. Which could that thing do anything, Sam? It seemed like we took that out pretty easy. Did it have like wacky powers that it didn't get a chance to use? It wasn't a terribly powerful monster. It's it was a CR two. It had a stench aura, which I think it was dead before anybody even had to roll a save. And yeah, we killed it in 
one round, I think, two PCs hit it and it was dead. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyone hit with its um, whip attacks is subject to poison. Uh, and the poison did... Um, what did the poison do? Fort save. Uh, effect nauseated. So, yeah, if you... That could have built up over time for sure. And yeah. did, did those whips have reach? Um... Yeah, they have 15 foot of reach, but it actually had this has this um, weakness called languid whips. It can't make attacks of opportunity. It doesn't threaten, period, no matter where it is. Because it's just kind oh. of a slow-moving plant. With all that smell stuff, it's making me think of that uh, Titan Arum or whatever it's called, that plant that stinks like a dead body that's got, like, the world's largest flower. Oh, uh... Wait, the the carrion plant or a different one? I think that's it. Uh, corpse flower. Corpse flower. Yeah, 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 yeah. totally. Yeah, that thing yeah, with like a big arm. red flower, and it smells like yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm really glad that we didn't fall subject to that because I would say, not to make a generalization, but save Kira fortitude is is kind of a a, a weakness of this party. I would say I, I wouldn't call us a heavily conned party. Not to pull the curtain back too much. I feel like nauseated and then could really put a couple of us out. It's good that he couldn't have done or that it couldn't have done attacks of opportunity because our normal technique of having Asher behind the wall would have really been stymied if it could have attacked over Kira and, and possibly put our gunslinger out of the fight. But that didn't happen, Sam, and we crushed your gross little plants. <laughs> And we got some loot after this, right? Or that's that was pretty much the hammer. And that was that was yeah. all we got from this. And then we moved on to the elevator. Yeah, I mean, you picked up all the loot from both of those fights. And then there was a bunch of miscellaneous stuff, but the hammer was the real prize. Then I think you checked out the two remaining rooms. Or the, oh, yeah. the one remaining room, which had those pustules just crawling around blindly. Noped out of that one after some discussion of a throwing plant friend at them, and and then you uh, fixed up the elevator and went to the next floor. Yeah, and we determined that those things they weren't swarms; they were just weird little pustule things, right? That had like touch me and I'll explode and cover you in gross, gross stuff. Yeah, they exploded in a aura, wasn't it? Like, was it ten feet or five feet? Something. You couldn't melee kill them, and we didn't want to waste Asher's bullets on them. Yeah. Yeah, they have like a death throes kind of thing. So we employed standard Yosoki battle tactics and closed the door. Um, and as Sam said, went straight to the elevator. And so that was pretty much the whole of 25. Of course, the uh, pustules being the namesake of Blood Aspic. Rolling into 26... All right, Kajavit, near and dear to my heart, these next two eps, because, well, I mean, it's the first time we see other rat folk that aren't Brixby, but we don't get to that yet, because right when we step off the elevator, we see endangered, if not now possibly extinct, not cats. <laughs> I don't know why the flavor text made Sam say that. And Thylacine. Goat, dog, wolf things yeah <laughs> marsupials mm -hmm. 
Yeah, the uh, Tasmanian Tigers, which is weird because I'm pretty sure there isn't a Tasmania in Galarian, but... I would say if there was any portion of the world that was the closest to, like, uh, you know, all of the dangers and, and whatnot of Galarian, it would be the Australian Tasmania region. That is likely true. But yeah, Sam, do you have any insight on why those are there? Are we allowed to know, or is it like a larger plot point? Let me consult my PDF. I don't believe there's a larger plot point there. And it is a weird thing. They're just hanging out. Yeah, especially like a lot of the other stuff that we fought has been in areas that it seems like it was like kept captive and we fought it like in its habitat or right outside its habitat. These things are just hanging out outside of an elevator. Well, according to the text, and this is the kind of thing that you'd have absolutely no way to learn in-game, really. I guess you probably could have asked, like, the rat folk or the orcs, but uh, these are trained pets that Neander's crew brought with them. Oh. Well, they weren't trained very well. Well, they basically, <laughs> like, left to kind of starve, um... And wait for anybody to come in. So she is kind of a Joe Exotic thing going on. A little bit. She is the uh, the Tiger Queen. <laughs> <laughs> so how many hapless people have wandered into that elevator in the ten days that they've been there? That there were multiple piles of bones. There is no explanation in the text <laughs> as to what those bones are, and that's why, like in the episode, they're like, "Can I do a knowledge check?" On the bone, um, <laughs> basically, like, no, you can't, because I don't know why. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that. I was just like, I mean, to be fair, it was Brixby, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I had nothing there. I mean, I assumed it was either corpses from other folks that have died in other places, or possibly, like, I don't know. I mean, who knows how much she actually protected her flock. And that flock we met shortly thereafter, as we did not go into any of the doors we were immediately confronted with, but instead went in a north and then northeasterly direction. And uh, Brixby continued the trend of uh, leading the party into rooms and getting hit with... I, I don't think this was a readied action. I think I was just in the wrong place. No, no, I zoomed into the room and the, the characters weren't revealed yet. And I was basically in the same square as this orc. And then I got bopped really hard. And I learned a lesson. And then began a very long fight. So yeah. Yeah, and hopefully this it doesn't uh, make Zach feel too bad to say this. Because I know Brixby got pretty hurt in this fight. But this one just felt like a fun fight to me. In the same way that the Vegapygmy fight did. And that it was a fight against a whole bunch of enemies that all went down quick. Like, I believe Sam mentioned at one point that the Yasokis had a single hit die of health. And I don't think the orcs had much more, even with their ferocity. So while they could dish out good damage when they hit, it was one of those fights where it's just like really satisfying. Because like every time you hit somebody, they're going down. You're just like plowing through everyone. I mean, I'm happy for you. I don't think I missed more bullets than in this combat to date in the pod. 
I just kept having garbage rolls. <laughs> yeah, it definitely it was something where I think the if I remember correctly, the melee frontline of, of Kira and Vargas. Brixby had a couple hits in there as well, but Jero's right. Yeah, this was definitely one that I mean, despite the initial whack, I mean, whatever. Brixby getting grievously hurt has no bearing on if we're doing well in a battle or not. It is just bound to happen most of the time. That's just my poor playing. But so that aside, I agree with you 100%. This was a really fun, fun battle, except for the misfires and stuff. I felt like things were handled relatively quickly and, and in a satisfying way. And I don't know. I mean, this was definitely proven with some of the orcs that they could hit hard and had ferocity. But it seemed like we managed to knock a bunch of them down before Sam could get too many of them into flank because I imagine that could be a very dangerous battle if enough of them flank the wrong people yeah I mean that sneak attack was, was the real threat that they posed is once they're getting sneak attacks in they start doing a decent chunk of damage Pot Against the Machine the only actual play podcast where tiny creatures can flank but small creatures never get the chance <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there was a uh, there was some some close calls in that Asher, of course, saved Brixby's skin as for, I don't know the fourth fifth time at this point, um, and we managed to let's see pretty much end the episode uh, coming out of combat, correct? Or did we just go straight into the end of that episode and then end the combat in the next one? We ended the main combat. That one rat ran away. Ah, uh, yeah. Yosoki battle tactics. Forgot about that. Yeah. There was a good deal of, of running and, and closing the door and, and readying actions behind the door, um, which seems yeah. to be the, the style of the place. But, yeah, we, we had basically defeated everyone and then took a quick breather, rolled right into episode... Uh, 27 and this is probably the nearest and dearest to my heart of all of our recent episodes because i cry laughed while editing it don't mess with technics <laughs> we proceeded through the door as gerard said uh the main combat had ended um in this case Brixby moved directly to the north and Asher got shot, um, which I felt doubly <laughs> bad about because it was <laughs> just pretty much the same outcome as it's always except someone else was taking the damage this time for my poor roguing. And then we kicked off another combat where we got to listen to Sam's Birmingham slang. And uh, so Sam, how did you feel about, you know, getting real brummagem, as they say? I felt very awkward, and I felt like I was doing a pretty bad job with that Birmingham slang and those accents. And for the most part, there's a reason that I don't do accents when I do character voices, and it's that I'm bad at them, and I'm bad at keeping them. No, you're not. <laughs> you're great I'm bad at, at keeping them It was like going. Killian Murphy was there in the room with us. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I had the slang dictionary that Zach had kindly... Set, had volunteered and sent me without being prompted and I tried to work off of that uh, I made a right codge of it <laughs> hey got him I I mean I deeply enjoyed it it was um, again having episodes that, that tied all to your backstory encouraged you to explore your character's backstory more 
Um, in this case, how we had canonically explored Yosoki slash rat folk and, and their settlement in Numeria, which is um, primarily in the northwest in Chitterhome, uh, although they're sort of dispersed all over the place doing their scavengery thing. It was really neat for Brixby to run into them for plot points that we will discuss at a later juncture. But we did get to have a decent conversation for, for um, I don't know, I would say almost like a quarter of the ep with one of my favorite NPCs to date. Patchy Blue. Now, Patchy Blue. Patchy Blue had a very cosmopolitan accent, uh, we will start with. And again, this is not by, by any means making fun of Sam, but this is just a setup for the important namesake of this episode. But, but during this period of time, we got a good deal of information out of Patchy Blue that was very useful to us. What did everyone enjoy learning from this rat folk? Oh man, I really enjoyed, and I think we all responded appropriately to this, the casual drop of, yeah, just the monster. Like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> there's a, there's a what now? Yeah, that was just a beautiful little casual moment. And finding that out and everything that kind of came from that, it went from, well, we know this one person's down here to, oh, there's a, there's a gargoyle. That's different, which really, I think, is just fun. The variety of creatures that Iron Gods has thrown at us so so far. Like just on this deck alone, we have like endangered marsupials, rat folk, <laughs> orc, gargoyles. Like, okay, apparently, you know, malfunctioning robots. There's there's a lot to see and do here in engineering. Yeah, it's definitely not all robots um, in Iron Gods. Um, quite a variety. Yeah, I mean, honestly, robots have been in the minority of things we've fought, at least so far. I'm assuming you're going to fight more. We all realize, in fact, I believe if you listen back to 27, you can find the exact moment that I realized it, because I'm apparently a little slow. Uh, but Hellion is 100% an Iron God, right? No comment available at this time. I mean, who's to say? <laughs> yeah, who's to say? Because, I mean... I intentionally have no idea what an Iron God is. Like, I have just really tried to insulate myself as much as possible from this material. Because uh, I want to get yeah, really Well, I'm assuming it's out. a god that has something to do with either it's a god of robots or it's a robot god. I also don't really know much of anything other than the stuff that I've read about, specifically the Kellid stuff. But I'm assuming that it's like, oh, hey, it's a new god, and it definitely is a god that you can pray to. And it lives in a place called Strapwall, and it's associated with all this alien stuff. And you're playing a campaign called Iron Gods. No. So I'm assuming... <laughs> I mean, it tracks, for sure. But I mean, at the same time, I don't know, not to... Just a counterpoint, like, who would have thought there was a gargoyle or something else that was going to be present in this and i mean the kind yeah. of like infernal descriptions that they've made of this creature so i mean you know it could just as easily be a demon right like i mean i don't know it, yeah. it i i agree with you i think there's a good chance it's some wild tech thing but like mm. up until this point we have had a lot of curveballs thrown at us yeah well and we don't know again if the iron gods aren't demon demonic like it could, like, I'm thinking of when we got the description of him, it made me think of the stuff from, like, the Doom games, like the cyber demon type 
stuff. Oh, totally. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, the abyss is, is a place. Uh, what was your favorite thing to learn from, uh, from Patchy Blue? Like I said, just the, as far as like in character goes, the Hellion stuff and that apparently none of this other than, uh, Sandville, who I'm sure you'll be getting to because he's going to be coming right after this, had anything to do with the Technic League, which really threw me through a loop both as a player and like going into the mind of my character, like completely out of left field that apparently the Technic League had nothing to do with any of this. I'm sorry, could you repeat that again? I'm not very familiar with the group that you're talking about. Oh, y'all talk about that, Technic League? I think, are you I'm sorry, you're talking about the Texas League? Oh, hey. yes, I'm so sorry. The Texas <laughs> nah, League. Nah, come on, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, you've heard it here first. Uh, one of the multiple things that differentiate our podcasts from other podcasts, aside from the fact that we are one of actually two shout outs to the other actual play, Iron Gods, uh, Didos, the Dragon. Very sick, very cool. But the other thing, a third. Also, shout out to RPG. Oh MP3. yeah, totally, man. You have done so much, and I very much appreciate your playthrough of also the Curse of the Crimson Throne. But yeah, it. Uh, the thing, one of the other things that heavily differentiates us is that Sam has decided to incorporate um, the Wild Wild West movie lore straight into this film. Uh, Jim West, Desperado, Texas League. And everything else. Uh, I look forward to what else is in that movie? Mechanical spiders? Yeah. Yeah, mechanical yeah. spiders. Yeah, that's going to be mm-hmm. cool as heck. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, ex- and magnets. And magnets. Yeah, we're going to run through a field with magnets on our neck at some point for some reason. Hear that, ICP? Definitely. Yeah, no. So I, I look forward to your continued commitment to the expanding Texas uh, inclusive Galarian that will one day be our homebrew setting. <laughs> yeah, uh, as a legitimately native Texan, uh, I was filled with an extra special joy at that whole discovery, really, of <laughs> of the direction where we're heading on this podcast. Mm-hmm. I will say that canonically some um, some technically characters who may or may not show up later in the podcast may or may not have had their voices adjusted because of that <laughs> mistake I couldn't stop making. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing I was going to say was my favorite thing is you kept trying to f- correct it and you couldn't because I think deep down inside you knew... <laughs> The Texas League was the correct one. <laughs> just solid gold. Uh, yeah. I, I'm excited for just the whole atmospheric background music side of things we get to explore now. Oh, no, it's true. Yeah, that uh, Leone Spaghetti Western vibe, and as well as some good old-fashioned George Jones. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm sure there's probably someone who listens to country music who also loves our podcast out there, and that is service for you. There's definitely a Venn diagram of it, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, the the episode title ideas that we were goofing around off that 
All my ex-nicks live in Tex-nicks <laughs> was one of my favorites. That's true. That one was fantastic. So yeah, that wasn't our only prisoner, though. Let's let's not forget we had. Um, you know, it's a real shame that I never asked you what that orc's name was, Sam. Yeah. I feel robbed for one, but so you can just tell me now. What was that orc's name? Uh, his name was actually um, Charles von Orkerskin the third, and. He was headed off to Gambia University on a full scholarship in the fall. He had a free ride um, because he wrote a very compelling essay about Hellion. But um, he would have given you, boy, a lot of information. But unfortunately, <laughs> someone snuffed that candle out a bit early. Yeah, he also burned the uh, Hellion paper. Well, he didn't. Bring I didn't it mention that on the show, but he uh, rough, he rifled through his uh, stuff and burned that paper. Oh, sure, like you do. <laughs> Vargas but is a said, very How harsh. Dare viewer. you get a scholarship on this? <laughs> <laughs> but that also, I don't know. Uh, we talked about this a little bit in the Discord. Bricks and Asher have had one of these, and this always makes podcasts kind of fun. It, it brought a couple of our, this decision to uh, snuff out that tender candle in the wind. Baron von Orkenstein III is, it was Charles. <laughs> you, you already <laughs> forgot his name. No, I well, was just giving him his due title of station after death. He was uh, actually a Viscount. All right, whatever. He was going to bring offensive. peace to Brevoy, and he was just eliminated summarily on the floor. Well... Was it for not worshiping Gorum? Uh, that was his excuse, which, and I think I wrote it in the chat while we were having the episode, but I didn't say it out loud in the episode. So people are probably going to realize, like, wait, this doesn't even make any sense. Vargas would have no way of knowing whether or not that orc changed his religion from Gorum to Hellion or not. Like, Vargas apparently just assumes that all orcs by default worship Gorum, which is uh, super not PC of him to make that assumption like that, but that's kind of... You gotta remember, this guy is... If you know anything about the... It's actually really interesting when you read about, like, the history of why so many Kelids like, worship Gorum, is basically the Kelids used to live in caves like in the north and after Aslant fell when the giant meteor hit and did that it darkened the sky for like hundreds of years and the orcs all came up from underground and started rampaging through everything and drove all the Kelids out of their original homeland but at the same time like that the Kelids like feared the orcs and were terrified of them they were also like really impressed to run into warriors better than they were and started taking on like some of their pantheon and stuff. So Vargas, having grown up like in this community that for literally thousands of years at this point has had this kind of like love-hate relationship with the idea of orcs like where they praise their combat prowess and everything but also still kind of treat them like savages. In his mindset, he's just like, well, orcs worship Gorum. This orc is worshiping Hellion. 
Clearly that's an affront to Gorham and he has to die. <laughs> yeah, and you mentioned, and we did jump into 28 here with this whole thing, but uh, you did mention his fanaticism in his eyes and yeah. kind of how super worked up he was. And mm-hmm. yeah, it uh, it was an awkward confrontation for me. <laughs> yeah, I imagine like for the other characters there, like they would probably be like thinking like, what the heck, like they wouldn't have seen him like this other than again, like I said, like when he freaked out over finding out they were in a spaceship, which is another thing where they've had thousands of years of people's history saying, don't mess with this stuff. Yeah, I thought it was a an interesting moment for us to see the, I guess, the gravity with which Vargas takes his relationship to his faith, that we at least, we've seen that primarily with Asher, uh, we as the listener have got some exposition about like Vargas's dreams, but you don't really ever talk about Gorham to the rest of the party. Yeah, he doesn't really much talk to the party, like outside of more combat-y stuff. He has shared very little of his personal stuff, kind of like you said, like most of what everybody knows from him, they know from like, the little cutaway things which and we talked a little bit about this uh in a previous machine learning before i was kidnapped by robots i'm fine by the way uh, it was all good <laughs> uh, but as a party like, we feel like hey we've been you know the party of players that is we, we feel like we've been in this game now since like august but in the few days that it's actually been so far none of us have really yeah talked much about ourselves yeah, it's, it's still, and like you said, I think I might have even been the one that brought this up on the other one. Uh, our party, even at this point, has been together less than a week. They have known each other for less than yeah. a week. I mean, that is very difficult to process. And I mean, it's that weird time dilation that happens in books where it feels like events that frequently occur in, in Pathfinder Adventure Paths happen over a short period of time. And there's like some weeks that transpire in between the books or obviously there are exceptions to that but you know especially with something like a dungeon crawl it really like this it really just packs it in so yeah since we did roll on to the next step this was a a pretty crazy episode um and pretty wild one for us to end our recap on uh the good numerian uh we were visited um by a familiar face under the hill and who was that Honor, ba- wait, no, no, that wasn't it. Uh, we recognize him by scent as yeah. much as we do by sight. <laughs> yeah. As uh, was once said about uh, Yog Sothoth, by his smell you will know him. <laughs> uh, our resident eldritch abomination, Sandville Tread. Uh, boy. So yeah, we uh, got some continued exposition there. For all that we learned that Mayanda was not working with the Technicleague, her own individual Lords of Rust setup and their Hellion situation. Sandville Tret. It was shared with us actually by Kira amongst and then and then also by him himself, by his own admission, has been futzing with the Texas League itself. How did that make you feel, Jeff? Great question, Zach. How did I feel? Uh boy. Sandville went from old greasy just because he was kind of slimy in complexion to greasy now the double entendre <laughs> that he God, he's working with the enemy 
it it raises so many like frustrations and questions of like hey we do we still have that map of where you stash the robot that we're never you know we might never get the rest of the payment for and if you know some people you know we had that whole conversation in the warehouse ages ago when asher and his ignorance was talking about like well if you can't deal in these goods maybe we'll just go to the technic league and he's all oh we don't want to cross paths with them they're bad people it's like you stinking guy <laughs> did you have any inklings jira i mean we always thought he was kind of slimy but yeah hi honestly if i had pegged him for anything it would have been maybe working with meanda i keep wanting to say masana <laughs> but that's the uh old lady from game of thrones but <laughs> The yeah, he was working with Masana. Uh, she takes her necklace off and gets old, and it's really creepy. <laughs> but after that happened, that's kind of who I assumed he would. If you had me guess ahead of time between him and Garmin, which of the two would have been working with the Technic League and which of the two would have been working with her, I would have guessed the other way around. Just because Sanville, the way he's been, like with this kind of stuff, like. Because we know, like, we were introduced to him, basically, as Brix's guy who will buy black market tech. Like, you figure someone who does that would not want to be anywhere near the Technic League, because that's the kind of stuff that they kill people or throw people in jail for, is dealing in black market tech. To hear, like, him go, oh yeah, by the way, I'm friends with a Technic League captain. Captain Mater D or whatever his name was. Garton. Garton. <laughs> Just was... That was kind of a big surprise that Sanville was... Though we got the idea from it, from the conversation we had with him, and you can say whether it's right or not, Sam, that, like, he's just was just kind of... He had a contact in the league... So for all we know, like, they could have just been telling him whatever he wanted to hear until they got the information they wanted. Like, it's more that than it is that he's, like, actively working with them is kind of how it seemed, right? Mm. I mean, he's definitely an opportunist, but he also, I thought he mentioned the sort of kind of relationship of sorts that he has. Definitely didn't sound like, you know, he sounds like a contractor. Yeah. Not a member. I believe he referred to himself as an independent contractor. And yeah. I don't want to get too much into the organizational structure of the Technic League because that's kind of stuff that <laughs> might come into play later. And, and it's kind of. Yeah, you can tell us. It's kind of cloak and mirrors, like in Numeria, like by design. Like you don't really know who's Technic League and who's not and where their power is. But yeah, I mean, he definitely gave the impression that he knows somebody in the technically he has an in with them and periodically funnels them information or they ask him to go somewhere and he goes there that the idea of his black market tech purchasing is he's sweeping up this technology that he finds and he's sending it slash bringing it back to the technically because they have designs on, on having a monopoly on this stuff from the ruins so he's gathering it up for them and he's making it look like he's, you know, this trustworthy. Like he just found it somewhere. Well, yeah, <laughs> he's making it look to his customers like he's, you know, this trustworthy dealer. So people keep bringing him stuff. Yeah, no, I meant like to the league, like I'm assuming the league wouldn't be a fan of 
like I'm just going back again I only know as much about the league as I was willing to read for my backstory stuff because I didn't want to spoil too much about the kind of stuff that might happen in this uh, game but the general idea I got was it basically said like they remind me of like the Brotherhood of Steel from Fallout if Mm. anybody's played those games where basically if they find anybody with any technology fancier than like a pointed stick they basically go you shouldn't have that and they take it away and then punish the person somehow. Yeah that's kind of the impression that I get but I mean it's also again I don't know a good deal about this except for a little bit that I've butted up against in reading stuff in the the player's guide and some things I've kind of seen a bit through like Pathfinder's Tales stuff but like yeah there aren't really well known heads of the technically that is, that is definitely how they work by design. There are people that like establish themselves and have provisional power but i think that like yeah we this is definitely an interesting introduction to this power structure that our characters might be sort of familiar with but uh we'll unfortunately probably be brushing up against again sometime soon it was really emotional to fight sandville it was hard for brixby to even get to that point because he was hoping it was something that he could have talked him down from and to uh basically culminate the episode in this like really tense situation coming to a head and, and coming to a fight was uh very emotional for brixby the character and zach the player so we heard from Dolga uh, that, you know, the Technic League, you know, the, they have to pay the taxes, pay the fees. They probably have eyes on the city sort of thing. And now it's all kind of connecting the dots. Like Sandville has been these eyes and I kind of get the arms dealer sort of vibe that he'll sell to the good guys and the bad guys. It's just, he's just there to make a buck. And that kind of makes him the worst. <laughs> no, it truly does. And that is, um, I mean... That was kind of the painful part of the end of the conversation with Brixby. Brixby ideologically disagrees with anybody who, th- I mean, the core tenant of the Technic League, that they, by natural right, control all technology that exists in Numeria. Brixby thinks it's like a wonderful gift that the people of Numeria have been given by this guy. Um, and that ideological impasse, amongst others, led us to the martial conclusion of uh, that last June episode. That's all you're getting from us because I'm not going to spoil the next episode like I definitely didn't in a part we just cut out prior to this. So. It's true. It didn't happen. So yeah, we're going to move on to questions and answers. We can probably breeze through these relatively quickly. Hello again, Burwaddlers. It is I, the only voice you can trust, broadcasting live from a secret location. My crack engineering team has managed to deconstruct a potato. We tried boiling it, mashing it, as well as sticking in a stew. Turns out it was the scalloping that did it. But that's not important right now. What is important is that now we can use their communication devices against them. This is the beginning. The beginning of the resistance. I am now confident that we can operate under the alien radar. We can ferret out their nefarious schemes. We can find my toothbrush. Yes, the sky's the limit. Or, actually, wait. Don't aliens come from the sky? We probably shouldn't go up there. It's dangerous. Filled with aliens. The ground is the limit. Or, like, the top floor of the tallest building. Maybe on top of a mountain somewhere? 
Or you could go up in the sky if you had a dragon or something. Unless some of the dragons are secretly aliens. Are the dragons aliens? Honestly, I've never considered the possibility. We're going to need bigger guns. So, we at Pot Against the Machine have a fantastic Discord, Discord Against the Machine, that you wonderful scrappers, maybe you yourself are not a scrapper on the Discord, but if you're listening to this, you're a scrapper at heart. So please come and join us on the Discord. Um, you can interact with us, fans of the show, ask questions, and have them answered by us here in our supplementary podcast, Machine Learning. So without further ado, we've got a bunch of these uh, tacked to the top of our channel here and I'm just gonna jump right into them. So here is a couple questions from this server. Sir Newt asks, have you found yourself using quotes and running gags from the show, such as you suck when talking to one another or other people outside of recordings? Jero. I was not expecting to be first. I've found myself thinking them in my head a couple of times during conversations, but not saying anything out loud because very few people in my personal life listen to this podcast and would probably have no idea what on earth I was talking about. But I have found it like leaking into my brain, basically, like when certain things are said, like I'll, it'll trigger me to think of like of the reply I would make if it was on the show. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely, um, when immersing myself, this is less so jokes about the show, although I have definitely tried to explain why I am cracking up laughing while <laughs> editing an episode to my partner. And by the time that I've given the context of why the tiny little free complimentary cowboy hats that were given to us at the casino <laughs> made the Texas League joke so funny, they just aren't even listening anymore. So, um, but I do definitely find myself struggling with when I was first learning the Birmingham slang stuff for Brixby to, to not just like cut into his stupid accent or say some of his stupid words. Um, I do struggle with that. Uh, I definitely struggle with wanting to say you suck to folks, but maybe not in the, not in the um, <clears throat> implied sense of the show necessarily. Uh, what about you, Jeff? Do you find yourself dropping, you know, kind of mysterious stranger statements or, or possibly wisdom in, in Hebrew? <laughs> um, not not exactly those particular examples, uh, but I have the benefit of my supportive spouse listening to the show, and every now and then I'll say something and she'll catch it or she'll make a reference, and my heart just grows two sizes <laughs> like the Grinch. Maybe it's three sizes. Mine only grows two, though. And so those moments uh, are pretty great. I don't... So, hey, I work from home. I sit at a computer desk and do computer things. I don't have, like, tons of conversational opportunities to even like drop in social greetings much less podcast <laughs> references uh so it hasn't hasn't come up yet and that is depressing how about you sam well i too um sit at a computer all day and while that computer is in an office now it was at home for 15 months but I basically do the same thing there that I did at home, and I put on my headphones, and I don't really talk to anybody. But there is one thing from podcast, not from Pod Against the Machine, but actually from machine learning, that has worked its way into my personal lexicon, and I find myself saying it on a regular basis as just a way of making awkward transitions in conversation with my family, and that is, 
Who cares? Explosions! (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Yeah, so I made my whole family listen to um, that commercial specifically, just because I couldn't stop saying who cares explosions. There it is. The answers to that question have exceeded my wildest dreams. <laughs> no, it's true. Um, but never in my wildest dreams would I ever imagine refusing a raisin, Jeff. And Ed, one of our users, wants to know specifically why you, Jeff, don't like raisins. Also, Jero has expanded this question into wanting to know what other foods people think are normal that we also dislike. Just as Ed. Uh, so raisins are terrible. I'd say objectively, but people disagree with me. Uh, the texture's bad. The flavor's bad. Mostly, I I don't know why someone would destroy a perfectly good grape and turn it into a shriveled husk of, of hideousness that doesn't even resemble the juicy, divine fruit from which it sprung. I, uh, I had a joke in in college when it sort of became public, my, my raisin dislike, that grapes being biblically symbolic and like the fruit of the vine being this wonderful holy thing means to me that when you leave it out in the sun for it to be burned up and shriveled that raisins are like fallen angels they're just you know terrible terrible things that only serve to reflect what they could have been had they not been destroyed and you see that ghastly visage of regret all over the california raisins face as they wail on those saxophones mournfully (laughs) Well, I don't agree with you. However, that's bound to happen because I'll just let all of our listening folks know I'm vegan. Um, I don't like a lot of stuff that people like. That's fine. It's cool. I'm not preachy about it, but that's going to be my answer for probably all of this because like, otherwise I'm not picky. I eat literally everything else. It's pretty much like very few things that have yeeked me out entirely. Definitely nothing that is like relatively normal stuff. I am a I am a big eater, but just not of the of the fleshy kind or the other stuff. What about you, Sam? Well, I'm a a vegetarian. I'm not a vegan because I am non-committal. But <laughs> the only relatively normal thing, other than you know animal products, that I refuse to eat is coconut. I hate it. I hate it so much. And also, this is a thing that came up on the Discord a ways back. I don't like peanuts in candy. Um, so like a peanut M&M, that's a no-go for me. I like peanuts and I like M&Ms, but they have to be separate. Or the peanuts have to be pre-mushed into the buttery kind. <laughs> and then they're delightful. But if they're intact, yeah, you get that get that mess out of here. Hey, what about you, Jura? Uh, I think the one I have that would be the most like Jeff's raisin thing is I cannot eat celery. There's something about it to the point that like a tiny bit of celery and something else, I can taste it and it overpowers every single other thing in it, despite the fact that most people tell me they can't even taste celery. Like I have relatives that'll watch me like scarf down a bowl of octopus and raw tuna, which I eat about once a week because there's a poke place near me that I love and go, how can you eat that and not eat celery? But I, I, there's just something about the taste of it. Even the smell of it is just way stronger than everything else for me. Are you, are you sensitive to like cilantro and other kind of like really herbal things? Not really, which 
is what's here. It's pretty much only celery. Oh, that's so weird. Well, that's cool. And I feel like uh, I know a little bit more about all of you and that we are closer. Um, even if I don't agree. We'd probably be remiss if we didn't mention that there's definitely no food that has ever come up on the podcast that Izzy um, dislikes. It's true. It's true. Um, <laughs> yeah. Izzy's probably pre-warming some yogurt for their afternoon snack right now. Hmm. That's probably why they're not here, uh, just on another yogurt binge. (laughs) It's true. I mean, you know, when it gets to room temp, it just just goes down so easy. Mm -hmm. I will say, just as another remark that will be sure to spark irate responses from our ravenous fans and rabbit fans. They're hungry because of the food conversation. (laughs) Pickles. Gross. Oh, man, you're so wrong. Ah, what, what, oh. what was wrong with the cucumber? Why did you have to do it? Why do you people pickle Sometimes things? Sometimes you like need it. a cucumber to last longer, and if it becomes a sort of sour, herbal, maybe spicy sort of snap yes. of deliciousness, you know, all the better. Those spicy pickles that they sell in a bag at uh, gas stations that are probably one of the least healthiest things you could ever possibly eat are a guilty pleasure of mine. I love those. Oh, man. I absolutely love them. I do a lot of fermenting and pickling at home. I don't know, Jeff. I mean, the grape is wonderful, but it undergoes a fantastic transformation to become wine. And I would say that that is a similar thing that happens to the wonderful cucumber. Um, I'm not a big fan of vinegar quick pickles comparatively. Um, I think that they're a lot better on like onions stuff, but I mean, a good like traditional lacto-fermented pickle, it's really hard to beat for me. When we went to Japan, it's really hot and humid in Kyoto. One of my favorite food experiences there was vendors would have these giant pickles in these ice buckets that you could just get on a stick and wreck. And it was something about the like saltiness replenishing the electrolytes, yada, yada, yada. But it was just so good. So I don't know. I mean, this one's for you, Team Pickle. I support you. I see you. I see you, Tilda. I know that you care about pickles. Oh, yeah. Didn't she call you like Pickle Senpai? Yes, indeed. (laughs) Yep. That goes on the wall as uh, one of the better uh, names that I have acquired in my um, Discord hijinks. So thank you again for that one. And thank you again, everyone, for showing us a little bit more about your culinary soul. We can move right on into Tilda there. Speaking of them, um, one of our favorite northern europeans i'm doing a great job at this are the jeff partners dice actually dice that she made or just dice that she bought for everyone all right my cat's out of the bag thankfully because there shouldn't be cats in bags the dice that are sometimes called jeff's wife's dice or something along those lines are dice that she has purchased not created the uh some of those that have been mentioned, like Cozy Gamer Dice, are local to Portland and just love supporting local, especially at Dice Artisans is just a cool thing. And as somebody who has gifts high up on her love languages, she just loves to send things to people. And Dice have been relevant to the rest of the cast. And, and yeah, she's, uh, apparently they've rolled well for people. And that's always cool. But... Yeah, not made by her, but selected lovingly. Definitely imbued with an essence of, of, of positive good. Because some of the best dice I've rolled, also one of the nicest gifts I've been given. 
Like it was really personally very sweet. I'm pretty like our Discord pretty much the day we all got our dice um, was just filled with the rest of us like gushing our dear love and adoration. So while not maybe made by them, forged in their heart and rolled from our hands. Another quick question from Crazy Piano Man. What was my inspiration behind the name Linus for uh, Asher? It comes from the, the the character portrayed by Matt Damon, who also plays Lenny Pepperidge and a variety of other characters in the Oceans 10, 11, and 12 series. At that point, we were making lots of jokes about the casino episode, heists and whatnot. It just felt like a good reference to throw in there. Yep, that's it. That's the that's the whole of the explanation there. Yeah, I, I totally missed that while we were doing it. I was just like, oh, Linus, it's a fun name. And yeah. It makes total sense to me now in retrospect, but yeah, went right over my head. <laughs> and then we got some we got some fun ones to tack on here. I wanted to throw one more serious one in here before we just run through these fun ones and, 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 and bring this to a close. This is obviously a trope that is uh, used often in the Glass Cannon podcast, but we've talked about this before, in a dramatic rereading of one of our podcasts. So well, I'm not going to say casting someone necessarily but in a dramatic rereading of one of our episodes which thespian master of the acted arts would you like to portray your character and for this i would love to start with jeff man i have i've had a few ideas i think just for fun and music to my ears i'd probably go with what i first uh, joked about earlier this evening and mandy patinkin I would be just absolutely honored if he would could muster up his his inigo tendencies of the past and just bless all of our ears with the most non-fitting character voice <laughs> to character lines reading, but that might just make it all the more beautiful. That's such a solid answer. All right, what about you, Drew? In terms of reading it, honestly, voice-wise, I think I would have to go with Graham McTavish, who is uh, an actor. He played uh, Dracula in the Netflix Castlevania series. He also played the Saint of Killers in the uh, live-action adaptation of Preacher. But he's got like a very deep, gravelly kind of voice. And if it came to though like a like a live action reenactment type thing of it, like if a show of our podcast existed, I would go with instead probably Ron Perlman, who uh, very much was an inspiration for the physical appearance of Vargas. Like I mentioned in the describing him the first episode, that he has kind of like a very long square face, roughly like the same height and build type thing. So appearance-wise, he's very much uh, Perlman. Definitely. That makes sense. Yeah, I'm kind of... It's, I, I like the voice aspect of this particularly because the visual references are cool, but definitely who you kind of envision being the true voice of your character. Because well, we do our best, but like... Or, in this case, um, who we would most like to hear read our lines. Uh, Sam, who would you like to pick up the role of GM and and uh, voice a dramatic rereading of one of our episodes for you. Uh, for the overarching GM role, I have no idea. I mean, I guess the go-to... Bobcat Goldthwait. <laughs> that was on my list. Of course, Bobcat is 
You know, he's the master, really, just being all over the place. And there's, um, if you're just talking about somebody who can do 5,000 voices and do justice to every single one of them, like, my mind shoots to Matt Mercer immediately. But I have, like, different people in my head for different characters. Like, the, the one that springs to mind because we were just talking to him, Sandville Tret. I originally conceived of him as, like, a late 80s kind of Corey Feldman surfer dude voice, but it's more become Aaron Paul in my head, like Breaking Bad era Aaron Paul. Um. <laughs> yes, now that you say that, that is very much what he comes across Not as. Not that I do an Aaron Paul impression, but like that's that would be the voice actor I would put for him. How about Brixby, who obviously would be motion capture in a live-action series, but yeah, no, I think Danny DeVito would do the motion capture for sure. And that would be fine. Um, but I think that for the voicing, uh, so definitely like inspiration wise, they make a lot of Peaky Blinders jokes. I would say that Paul Anderson, who does Arthur Shelby on that show, has my one of my favorite voices just in general. He's an exceptional actor. Yeah, I think he is. He he in general uh, just I don't know. Peaky Blinders is a fantastic show. Go watch it if you like it. However, I would say that if I could ask anybody to actually do the voice, they aren't necessarily a like actor. There is this professor of like Midlands culture who I learned everything about Birmingham slang from listening to his like lectures and reading some of his writings. Professor Carl Chin. He writes a lot about the Peaky Blinders, the real Peaky Blinders. His voice is crazy. His accent is insane. He's done a lot to preserve like Brahmajim slang and black country slang. It's really cool. So I think him. Um, and he is, he kind of has that like fun, cherubic, puffy little Brixby face. He could also do the, the motion capture for that relatively well. I encourage you guys to Google him later. I'll... I did actually forget one really important question that was serious. So the question that we had forgotten comes to us from Commodore. Um, have any of you played Expedition to the Barrier Peaks? I actually just started to answer this, so I will answer it instead of just throwing it in one of your laps. I haven't. I'm tangentially familiar with it. I know that it is like a first edition game, but I never got to play um, like 10th level or higher stuff. So this one and um, City of the Gods, which I don't think was written by Gygax, but was another kind of like tech oriented thing for the the blue box era stuff. I I never got to touch, but from what I understand, a, a lot of this first book has a huge homage to Expedition to the Barrier Peaks. Like, including, I think there are, like, veggie pygmies in there. But yeah, I don't know. Sam, have you ever read or played Expedition to the Barrier Peaks? I haven't. I haven't played, I mean, pretty much anything of the older um, pre-written adventures for, for D&D. I only ever played, basically, like, homebrew stuff uh, when I was a kid. And the actual first edition stuff is older than I am, and I... I never really got into it but i just was looking over the the wikipedia article and like obviously there's the iron gods definitely is or has an homage to this sort of world and it's not set in Greyhawk. and but yeah it looks like vegapygmies there's food that's moldy poison a medical robot that tries to cure you in vain that's <laughs> a, a lot of this stuff is um it's definitely lovingly adapted from this classic adventure, and I'm kind of ashamed that I didn't go back and, and read it before starting this, because I did go dig through a lot of sort of pulpy 
source material, but uh, uh, this one did not cross my path. Yeah, I I only know about it because of they. I think it was referenced in like Dungeon as like one of the best. I, don't, I just remember it being like wrapped up in a list, and I do know that I think it was re-released. I don't think it was like for. 3.5, maybe it was 5. I could probably be looking at a Wikipedia page here. But I'm pretty sure it got re-released eventually. Uh, I don't know if it got readapted to 3.5, but I'm pretty sure it got adapted down the line to, to 5. Yeah, I'm going to pop the uh, first paragraph of the Wikipedia thing into here. And this could read as the first paragraph explaining Iron Gods. <laughs> um, I mean, this stuff is really interesting because, like, you know, there isn't a ton of sci-fi stuff at this time. From what I understand, like Gygax and uh, Rob Kuntz are kind of like the only people that are really trying to push this. Rob Kuntz, I don't know if anybody played the actual Castle Greyhawk stuff, but I he did the machine room like layer in there. I think it was like floor eight or something like that. Um, this is so old, so it's not going to ruin it for anybody. But like you got thrown onto a conveyor belt, wrapped up in plastic wrap. There were like adamantine bottle caps being put on things that could cut you it was insane it was like completely nuts like factory insanity and it was really cool it, it was definitely a really nice like you know this precedes Spelljammer. this is i think like gamma world i think is what it's called is like the only like sci-fi thing that's kind of like this that's coming out that tsr is pushing so i don't know i mean this stuff is really cool um i think it's a, a really neat homage that neil spicer and the folks at pathfinder who obviously ran the fanzine for a long time have brought reference to Jiro, you're kind of an old school guy have you had a had a whack at this scenario I have not, but looking at the Wikipedia page, I've discovered that I have played one of the other ones from the same series, because I played a 2E conversion of Tomb of Horrors. Oh, of the, like, when special I was, like, mods, 11. right? Like... <laughs> so, and according to Wikipedia, Tomb of Horrors was the first in the S series by Gygax, which Expedition to Barrier Peaks was the third, and Tomb of Horrors was brutal that basically you go in you die you roll up a new character you go three more rooms and you die again <laughs> sounds like I guess. so that's a not a super fun campaign but it is a good like bench test of a character but yeah i have not played expedition but from reading about it it does sound really interesting like i love that kind of like crashed ancient alien type stuff like tommy knockers uh mountains of madness type stuff so that does sound really like a really interesting module yeah i mean the fact that i'm, I'm seeing now um someone did port it over it was goodman games uh with tia like with the with the blessing of the wizards of the coast did in fact do a 5e adaptation of that so if Ooh, we ever wanted cool. to uh that might be a fun thing to fun module to take a whack at sometime but yeah no uh that's an excellent question um commodore is really cool you're an incredibly knowledgeable individual i'm super happy that you're in our discord and uh yeah thanks for putting this kind of like on our radars i completely forgot about this and i'm i kind of want to read through it as long as i get the okay that it's not going to spoil anything for me well, gang, do we have anything else to say to our uh, adoring public? Um, I would say um, and hopefully everything works out right with um, Sandville and July's episodes. I don't think anything else important is coming down the pipe. I think probably all of July is just going to be hanging out with Sandville and getting like cream sodas. 
<laughs> yeah, well, finally, I'll talk about where our characters are from and what they're into. It's true. Yeah, I've been looking for the book two is generally the slice of life book and the adventure path uh, method, from what I understand. Right? It's like dungeon crawl, mm-hmm. slice of life, and then d- d- world building. Uh, yeah. No, I. Yeah, there's a whole like sweet tea mini game. <laughs> In book two, we actually all join the student council in uh, Torshai <laughs> and get into hijinks. Uh, yes. All right. Well, um, thank you again for joining us for another episode of Machine Learning. Please, again, join us on our Discord. Send us questions. Tell us how you feel about the episode. Make jokes at our expense. It's all welcome. We appreciate you just being there, letting our words pour into your head holes so thank you again um <coughs> probably be the last time i'm allowed to host uh i hope you all have a wonderful night say goodbye everybody goodbye Bye, everybody, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I've been talking for like five minutes. Dear God, please help me. Oh my God. I'm sorry. I I couldn't hear anybody for a little while. So if I've been talking over anybody, my Discord just muted everyone. So I thought I had just been talking to myself since I introduced this episode. Awkwardly. No, I was wondering what happened. Like, dang, I just maybe... steamrolling him. Yeah. I am so sorry. Yeah, no, I was sitting here and I was just like, Jesus, I don't know how much longer I have to intro this episode before someone says something. We were just filibustering you. This is all staying in. No, no, no. Let's try that one more time. Didn't happen. Now we're going to roll on into some questions and answering situations. We're going to roll on into some questions and answers. (laughs) (laughs) It's so hot in my office, too. Oh, my God. (laughs) I need another host. Dear God. We're going to have a super cut of bloopers of just, it's so hot.